Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. We ask that you would take this time, be honored and glorified in it, strengthen us through your word. And Lord, we just ask your blessings that we may serve you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Need an outline? Maybe Andrew, just uh, wave a hand there and he will bring them around. Uh, We're going to try to finish. Uh, the book of Second Thessalonians tonight, the book of Second Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul says, Finally, brethren, pray for us. Now, as Paul is finishing out his second letter, of course, we've been over this very carefully. The main reason for the writing of this letter is someone had written a letter, signed Paul's name to it, said it was coming from Paul and told them that the resurrection, uh, actually the rapture had already happened, and they had been left behind. And, uh, and so there was a great deal of consternation. Someone, uh, Paul names them in the book of First Timothy, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who had said the resurrection was past, and uh, there was no hope for others, and had overthrown the faith of some. And so Paul is trying to establish them, in the faith, and even though there were false letters, even though there were false preachers, by the way, uh, if you'll remember in our study of the history of our Bible and its preservation, that somewhere between 80 and 90% of all errors that are arguable about today had already occurred or had been perpetrated before we have an actual history uh, uh, in the earth before 200 A.D. And so these errors and things that we are are looking at uh, are there. And Paul is saying, "Listen, I'm summing this letter up. Pray for us." Now, here's what he wants them to pray for that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Now, do you get what Paul's saying there? He's saying, I want you at Thessalonica to pray for us where we are now that the word of God can have a free course, that we can preach the word as we did in Thessalonica. And then he says... And be glorified, even as it is with you. You see, there are a lot of people who are influenced by false religions out there. And that is that salvation is the end of it. Once you're saved, everything else doesn't matter. Now, that's not Bible. In the Bible, your salvation is the beginning. God has called us to glorify this word. Have you thought about how important a job that is? I heard a preacher preach a sermon, and I've done many years ago. We tried to, I tried to preach parts of it anyway, but. The idea of his sermon was simply this. One of the reasons the devil is so mad at you as a Bible-believing Christian is you now have his job, his old job. 
He was the anointed cherub that covereth. It was his duty to reflect and sound out the glory of God in heaven. He was, uh, if we're to borrow a modern term, he was the worship leader in heaven. And uh, we have many people who are uh, taking that term, and the worship leader is the lead guitarist in the rock band. And, and uh, that, of course, is not worship to God. The devil is intimately interested in helping you worship God, because once you allow him to help, God cannot accept it. And so Paul is praying. He said, I want the Word to have a free course. Just like you at Thessalonica, you got saved. But that wasn't all you did. God's Word is glorified in the fact that there's a church there. And as we have read, uh, that church endured much persecution and much difficulty. And yet the Word of God went straight forward and and kept going and growing. And Paul, of course, was standing in doubt and he was very concerned. But he said, when I found out what's really going on in Thessalonica, I realized I didn't have to worry a bit. That the Word of God is being glorified. And then we move right on to the next sentence. He says, I want you to pray that the Word of the Lord may have a free course and that the Word of the Lord may be glorified, just like it is in Thessalonica. Uh, What Paul's really saying, if we could be as successful where we are now as we were in Thessalonica, I'd be very grateful we would have much to praise the Lord about. And then we have verse 2, the second prayer request, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Could I challenge you that uh, wicked and unreasonable men have been around since Cain killed Abel? Uh, uh, Cain was a wicked and unreasonable man. He could not be reasoned with. God told him, listen, if you just repent of your sin, you're the eldest uh, son. You will be the one that leads the family. But since you refused... He came under God's judgment. And so we live in a world where people all the time, and if we're not careful, uh, we will adopt an attitude that most people have. You know, the, the, the most terrible thing that can happen is when it happens to me. That's the difference between a, a problem and a tragedy. A problem happens to you, and a tragedy happens to me. Anybody ever got caught up that way? It's so easy to get our eyes on ourselves. And, and Paul is saying here, I want you to pray that we will be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Now, that's not a new statement in, in our house. We have Captain Obvious Award. Uh, would you tell us something that we don't already all know? And Paul is not doing that here. He just wants to reassure and, and let the Thessalonians know that the persecutions that they have gone through 
are not unlike the persecutions that others have gone through. In fact, that's been a theme through the book, the books of Thessal- to the Thessalonians here. And so he he tells you, uh, he says, I want you to pray for two things. I want you to pray for the word that the word of the Lord may have free course. And as it has free course, that people will hear, they'll get saved, that the Word of God would be glorified, that what happened in Thessalonica with you and your church will happen where we are right now, and that we might be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, because there will always be the enemies of the cross. But verse 3 starts with that wonderful little word. But, hey, there's wicked men in this world. But the Lord is faithful. You see, the Lord is always faithful. Amen? It's just sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Uh, The Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. Evil never has to conquer the Christian. I mean... How, how many movies do they make about vengeance? Uh, somebody did somebody. I'm going to get even. I mean, every old Western movie was, you killed my brother. And what, what was that famous one? You, uh, you killed my father and I'm going to kill you. Some of you know that. And everybody's laughing that has ever seen, what is that, The Princess Bride or some silly movie like that. And... Uh, The world is full of vengeance. But you don't have to be like that. Because God is faithful. God will keep us. You know, bitterness is one of the most destructive forces in this world. I love Brother Thompson's definition. Bitterness is drinking poison... And waiting for your enemy to die. Uh, That is something that God wants to protect us from. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, in, in what we call, people call the Lord's Prayer, we call it the Disciples' Prayer, the Pattern Prayer. It says, forgive us our debts. Forgive us what we've done against God as we forgive others what they've done against us. If God actually forgave your sins the same way you forgave other people their sins, would you make it to heaven? That's a, that's a scary thought. And yet that is how we are instructed to pray. And this is what Paul is telling them. He says, listen, the Lord is faithful. He will establish you. The Lord will build you. He will keep you from being moved. And He will keep you from evil. There's a, uh, uh, all the modern translations, they want to tra- retranslate that. They want to keep you from the evil one. But no, it just simply is, God will not allow sin to have dominion over you. If a Christian destroys their life, you can guarantee one thing. It wasn't God's fault. It was things that 
they did. It was because they walked away from the Lord. The Lord is faithful. He is there. He is faithful and just to forgive us, the Bible tells us. And verse 4, it says, And we have confidence in the Lord touching you, that ye both... um, that ye both will, I mean, both do and will do the things which we command you. Now, let's re- let me read that again. I'm sorry. And verse 4, And we have confidence in the Lord touching you, that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. Paul says, I've learned enough about you Thessalonians that when you get a direct command from God, you are going to simply do it. And you're not only just going to do it, you're going to keep doing it. And it says, And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. This is what we need. Our, our hearts are tainted by our sin nature, are they not? Our desires are always there. If you're willing to feed the flesh, the flesh is worse than any monster in a horror movie. It's going to come right back to life in all of its glory and terror. And, and bad things are going to happen and... I will promise you this, you're never ever going to commit a sin. You're going to be glad you did it. You won't. Because if you're happy about that, then you've just committed even more. And you're moving further away from God. The Bible says that God will direct our hearts into the love of God. Now, what is the love of God? And this is the love of God. What? That ye keep... His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. That, that is the love of God. And we constantly discipline our hearts to follow in uh, that love and then into the patient waiting for Christ. You see, they had received a letter that Jesus had already come and they missed out on the rapture. And they were despondent. They were discouraged. They were not knowing what to do and what to say because this letter had supposedly come from the Apostle Paul and Paul's warning them. He he is giving them uh, confidence here. He says, now listen, you're not going to miss it. You can't. Because if you were going to miss the coming of the Lord, Jesus would have to forget about you. And that's not possible. Jesus will not lose his own. How many of us, we've ever lost something? And then we try to find it. And you never find it until you buy a replacement. Then it always shows right up, doesn't it? Uh, Jesus does not have that problem. He's not going to lose anyone. He, He keeps track of us. And it is our job to just patiently wait. How many books have been written mocking the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many people are out there trying to tell us that 
Uh, Jesus is not coming back. We're going through the tribulation. I had one nutcase tell me one time, uh, the reason people invented the pre-tribulational rapture is because uh, Christians didn't want to suffer anymore and they came up with their own plot to, to get out of the escape, the suffering. No, it's not it at all. It says that he's going to deliver us from the wrath to come. Amen? That He is going to protect us. He is going to take His church out. That we can patiently wait for Christ. And then He says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's pretty serious. Paul says, I am telling you, I am commanding you, This is something that you cannot change or alter. This is something you must do. Here it is. That ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, For we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. And we'll move on to the next here in just a few minutes. But you see, this is one of the reasons when... People, uh, people ask and said, well, what kind of Baptist church is this? I like to remind people there are a hundred. When I was a student in Bible college, one of our professors who was supposed to know all these things said there were a hundred and fifty mainline divisions in the Baptist group. Uh, in fact, there, I would challenge you, there's almost the equivalent amount of diversity in the Baptist group that there, uh, that there is in the Christian world uh, in others who claim to be Christians. Because you have Baptists that do just about everything everybody else does. Uh, you, you have Baptists that are just like the Anglican, the Church of England. They, they come to church. Uh, they, they do their little thing. They don't care. Uh, they ordain women pastors and homosexuals into the ministry. Uh, this would be the American Baptist Convention. Do you realize that in 1845, the American Baptist Convention believed exactly like our church does now? And today, you couldn't get saved in most American Baptist churches if you had a pack of bloodhounds and a division of Marines looking for it because they have abandoned the truth. Now, there's a reason. There's, there's things that we should do. Here's what Paul is telling the Thessalonians. He said, I am commanding you by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that when someone departs from the Word of God, someone decides to change what is in the Bible, you separate from them. That's why we call ourselves separatist Baptists. We do not believe in Protestantism. We do not stay in a bad organization and protest the bad that's in it. We leave. And we keep it just the way 
as close to the Bible as we can. I went to a school that was controlled and run by a fellowship of churches called the Baptist Bible Fellowship. Many, many churches. Brother Sam, Southwest Baptist Church, at one time was part of the Baptist Bible Fellowship. Brother Randolph that was here was part of the Baptist Bible Fellowship. Many of these men... Uh, that we have had stand in this pulpit and preach. Brother Clayton has preached in uh, many, many fellowship churches all around the world. But they started changing. And in 1999, they took an abrupt left turn. And since that point, they no longer believe in the King James Bible. They have... Uh, the official statement of the school is that we do not believe that, that there is an inerrant copy of translation of God's Word. We believe in the original manuscripts. And the neat thing about that is there's no such thing as an original manuscript in existence today. Uh, they disappeared a very long time ago. Uh, they changed their mind on music. They changed their mind on the name Baptist and most of the new churches that are being started in that organization, uh, Crosspoint and uh, The Way and, and uh, just things like trying to reach the world by becoming worldly. Here's what Paul said, I command you by the Lord Jesus Christ that you separate, that you withdraw yourselves You know, we, we as Baptists, we, we curse tradition because so many traditions violate the Scripture. But I want to challenge you, there's a lot of traditions that we hold to that do not violate the Scriptures. Amen? And we are going to follow those traditions that are outlined in the Word of God. There's, there's one there's one acid test for every tradition that we hold to. Is it in this book called the Bible? You know that in England, at one time, it was against the law to sing hymns in a church. Could you imagine that? And the Baptists got caught up in that. And some of them were against singing hymns and they preached sermons against that. And yet... What does the Bible say when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper and they sung a hymn and went out into the night? You see, uh, the book of Psalms, that, that is Hebrew word for song. Uh, and uh, several years ago, I was exposed to some work by some people who claimed that uh, the uh, Hebrew alphabet and the way that the Psalms were put together could be translated into notes. And, and they came up with all of these melodies for the Psalms and things. And everything was in a minor key. And it was just really weird sounding. Um, now, maybe maybe they're right, but they have no proof that they're right. Uh, I will tell you this. The songs of Zion were joyous songs. They, they, they made you smile. That's why 
when they wrote by the rivers of Babylon. It says our enemies required us to sing the songs of, of Zion. We can't do it. He said, but if we forget, he said, if I forget, if I don't love Jerusalem, he said, take away my ability to function and to use the cunning of my right hand. He said, my songs are reserved for God's worship and God's worship alone. The music that we try to use here is music that is definitively sacred. You can define it as sacred by hearing it. There's a difference in those things. And and Paul is telling the Thessalonians, listen, you withdraw yourselves from those that walk disorderly and not after the tradition which he received from us. You know, there's there's been many, many groups over the years that have tried their hand at this communal living thing where everybody comes together and they put all their money together and they... They, they live in a, in a one uh, compound there and look, look, here's what Paul said. We behaved ourselves carefully among you. What did we do? Paul says, we worked and we provided for ourselves. Someone says, yeah, preacher, you ought to go get a job. Well, I'll, I'll trade my schedule here. Uh, uh, but, the, Paul also tells us in Timothy that ministers should live of the ministry. So that's not what he's talking about here. What he's, and he's going to redefine this and, and bring this down. He said, we didn't eat any man's bread for naught. We worked and that we might not be chargeable to you. He said, but we wanted to make ourselves a proper end sample is the old English word. Example would be the Modern English spelling. And verse 10, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. You know what? The world is full of freeloaders, is it not? Uh, Everybody wants something for nothing, don't they? And here's what Paul's simply saying. If you don't work... You shouldn't be depending on everyone else. If you can't work, that's a different story. He says, for uh, verse 11, For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Oh my. If you don't have something to do, you're going to find something to do, aren't you? And and I'll tell you this, I, I don't know if this is true of everybody here, but I know it's true of me. If I've got a list to do of to-dos, if I got things that got to be done, it's going to take all the available time I have. How about you? Do, you? do you understand what I'm saying by that? If I have ten things on the list that would normally take ten hours, it's going to take ten hours. If I have five things on the list... It can still eat up that same ten hours if I'm not careful. You see, living the Christian life is a discipline. Is something that we have to work. And the Bible tells us 
Verse 12, Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. This world, when we finally step out from the realm of mortality into eternity, I will tell you this, the only regret you're going to have is that you didn't serve Christ more. The only regrets that we will have will be when we wasted time, when we wasted effort, when we let someone else do things for us so that we could just take a little bit of a break. The Bible says, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. You know what? It, it is not wrong to embarrass someone who is doing wrong. That, that's what he's saying. He's saying, have not company. Withdraw yourselves. If they're going to walk disorderly, Paul, and Paul is continuing this, this theme, he said, if, you're not, if, if someone is not going to follow the traditions that we have taught, you know, what happens in churches many, many times is a pastor will be there and he will be uh, preaching and trying to teach the Word of God and everybody goes home and listens to Charles Stanley and, and, and uh, John MacArthur and all the guys on the Christian radio and, and, and because they're, they're great speakers. They're very easy to listen to. But you know what? They're not teaching the truth. Not all of it anyway. And then the preacher passes off the scene and the new preacher comes in and he says, we're going to just be a little more worldly. We're going we're gonna to have fun. And everybody goes, yeah, that sounds great. No, there's a charge here. There is a responsibility for each member to make sure that the traditions we hold, this is one of the things that, I really need you to pray for me as I'm out there on Wednesday nights trying to take the Community Baptist Church back to the place where they once were. They didn't have a preacher for months. We didn't, I didn't even know it. Uh, I talked to the pastor before he left, Brother Fryman, and he said, we got a guy coming in and everything is lined up and it's going to go well and I don't think you have to worry about anything, Brother Montoro. Well, in September, uh, some of you remember Eustace talked to a, a preacher friend of mine, and I sat down, and he said, Hey, do you know about this church that's in trouble and going to lose their building? And, and I'm sitting there going, Wow, no, I don't know anything about it. And so, uh, in fact, Brother Wilder from Olympia, Washington, gave me the phone number of the deacon at the church in Riverhead, Brother McGill. Go figure. And so I call him up. And for me, it's a local call, right? And we're, we're trying to move back to solid ground. And so, 
I need you to pray with me about that. And we need to be careful and to take our responsibility. There's not only a, a physical application here. We need to work jobs. And people said, I just wish everybody could be a preacher. And I said, well, if everybody were the preacher, then who would the preachers preach to? Uh, we each have a part and we need to be faithful right where we are. And, and he says here to eat your uh, uh, bread with with quietness, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Brethren, but ye brethren, those that are not being busybodies, those that are not departing from the commands that Paul had already given them, be not weary in well-doing. Don't allow yourself to grow tired doing the things that you ought to do. Well, you're going to get tired, but that's why you're supposed to sleep. Have you ever had your body just rebel against you? I don't even feel like sleeping. I'm just going to stay up all night and read a book. And then the next morning the sun comes up and it's like, oh my. You know, that's how you get weary in well-doing. That's how you get weary in the spiritual realm. And so he says, And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. I'm very sad to tell you that over the years we have had many, many, many souls that have fit this category here. And... In order to keep peace and try to do things, I've gone to them and said, listen, if you, if you don't like what our church is talking about, and one guy, he was mad at me, he says, you guys sing that old garbage music. And I said, whoa, wait a minute. The music we sing here is not garbage. The fact that you think it is tells me that you have a spirit that is not in communion with what we're doing in our church. Well, I don't. I said, well, I recommend you go somewhere else. Because the songs we sing actually talk about God in a very positive way. He's not your bud. He's not your homie. He is God. And we ought to treat him that way. Amen? And so Paul says that you note those people. That's why sometimes I'll name names, so that we can understand that we do not have any company. These people are not of us. And it says, yet count him not. This is talking about people who were once members of the church as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace, always by all means. Now, do you get what Paul's saying there? He, he is giving us the same theme in different words that Jude started out his little epistle with. To earnestly contend for the faith. You've got to stay with the Word. You've got to pay attention to what the Bible says. Uh, Paul said, this epistle is a marker. This is a place that you can go and you can check that what is going on, whether it is true doctrine or false doctrine. 
And, and we call that the authority of the Word of God. And he says that we don't have to be angry and hateful toward people. I don't know how many people I've met on the street that used to come to our church. Oh, hey, preacher, how are you? I'm doing okay. Still doing the same old thing? Yep. Doors are still open if you want to come. Okay. Well, I'm not holding my breath. You know what? Because they've chosen a different path. You, we're, we're not here to horsewhip you or to manipulate you into believing. I hope and pray that the Holy Spirit makes your heart tender toward the things of God's Word and that you understand that there is something worth grabbing a hold here and, and there, there, that God's Word is worth separating from others so that we can be obedient and we don't have to count everyone that's different as an enemy. But if we're going to talk to them and say, wish you'd come back. Wish you would come back to the truth. But here's what it says. Now the Lord of peace himself. That's one of Jesus' titles. Is it not? The Prince of Peace. It says, the Lord of peace himself give you peace. Always. You know, one of the things that you can do, you, you can have when you're serving God, is you can have God's peace. I'll tell you, I've stood on in, in, in some very uncomfortable conversations I remember one time as things were just starting to take off, I got a call from the president of the Baptist Bible Fellowship. And he said, we want to do an article on your church and, and, and uh, we, want to, we want to promote this. A lot of our guys have given to help you. And I said, yes, sir, that is very true. I said, but I, I want you to understand something. I, I said, I'm pretty sure you're aware of the meeting in Cleveland last November uh, for the Global Independent Baptist Fellowship. And he said, yeah, yes, sir, I am. And I said, I, I want you to know that's my sending church, and I'm one of the people that signed that letter. And, and uh, that was the last time he ever called me. You know what? I, I, that, that was not fun for me. Because... I can tell you what that man was thinking. We gave you that money. No, people like Brother Sam gave me that money. Uh, there were a few that are on your side of things, but most of the guys that helped us, we didn't play any games. Uh, I told people where I am, and, and Brother Thompson had a pretty good testimony throughout the fellowship. Nobody, nobody asked where Brother Thompson stood on doctrine. And I'm glad to tell you, I stand with my preacher. Not because he's my preacher, but because he's right about this book called the Bible. Amen? And you can have God's peace even as you... Uh, I, I have lost many friends over the years because of what's in this book called the Bible. But that's okay. Because if they're true friends and they're truly saved... God's going to straighten us all out and we'll be in heaven together. But I'm not going to compromise this book by, by God's grace. We're not going to compromise this book until we meet Jesus in heaven. 
it says, He will give us His peace always by all means. Here's what he's saying. Find God's peace in being obedient to His Word. Solomon put it this way. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. You know what? That sounds like peace to me. I'm inside the tower while the enemies of the gospel are banging against the walls. You know, this book called the Bible is not a hammer. It is the anvil that wears out the hammers. Amen? We want to be the metal on the anvil. We want God to shape us and conform us to the image of His Son. And and the world is going to beat against the anvil and try to break it, but they can't. It's God's Word. The Lord of peace give you peace always by all means. Find God's peace in serving God. Trust God. That's how you find peace. We don't have time, but one of the greatest pictures of peace ever painted was of a raging storm and a cliff on the seaside. And in the hollow of that cliff was a little bird's nest. And the mother eagle was there with her wings over the little uh, chicks. And they were warm. They were dry. They were at peace. Oh, by all means. Amen? The Lord be with you all. How do you know the Lord is going to be with you? I remember meeting a soldier. He had traveled all the way from Normandy to Berlin. World War II and he was in the Dallas airport. I brought his, bought his book and brought it home. And one of the things he told me, he was actually Greek Orthodox. He said, we were praying as we were rowing across the Rhine River and the little dinghies and the bullets were shooting at us. And said, we were praying. He said, but I could hear the Germans as we were coming over and shooting them. I heard them praying too. And my thought was, God wasn't listening to any of you. Because he only listens to those who are his children. And so, the Lord be with you. How do you get the Lord with you? Well, you walk with the Lord. Amen? If you follow him, if you will just surrender to him, he'll be with you. Lo, I am with you always. But how does that work? Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. That's how the Lord is with us. That's how we have the peace. And then it says the salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now, Paul said he is writing with his own hand. He is signing this letter. But how does he sign this letter? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you 
all. I just double-checked, made sure, because I, I knew it was true. Every letter Paul wrote, at least once in that letter, usually in the first two or three verses, he will say, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father. The grace of the Lord be unto you. And here he says the grace of our Lord Jesus. Paul's was not only his name, but it's his words. See, there's nothing we accomplish that isn't done by God's grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's what we don't deserve. It's what we absolutely must have. That's how we got saved. It was by grace. Amen? What appropriates God's grace? Faith. How does faith appropriate grace? You believe it to the point of obedience. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you remember the day you called upon the Lord's name? And... I have said this so many times, and uh, please do not take this lightly. This, this is something that we've got to grab a hold of. What you did to get saved is how you live for God each day. Amen. What did you do to get saved? You surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. How are we going to live in obedience? Surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to receive His grace. We've got to allow faith to appropriate God's grace. And all God's people said, Amen. And we're done. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You tonight. Lord, we ask that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ would be with us. That we would walk with the Lord that we would seek your peace even in the difficult things. The Lord, we would have enough knowledge of your word not to go astray with those who would walk disorderly, those who would despise the words of God, those who would substitute new traditions for the ones that have already been given us in the word of God. Lord, we ask that you would do your work in our hearts and lives. That we could glorify your word in our church. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, we'll just have the piano playing. If you need to come and pray, the altar's open.